The vibration of change, that magical place where life shifts from struggle to ease, from stagnation to forward movement, from old ways of being to new ways of becoming. Yes, it can seem rather elusive to get there, but when you are in it, you feel it down to your very core, and it can positively affect everything in your life, from your relationships to your health and well-being, from your career path to your abundance, from the quality of your inner connection to the fullness of your self-expression. Here on The Christine Upchurch Show, we explore ways to get into that vibration of change with experts in the fields of consciousness, psychology, spirituality, health, healing, and science. Are you ready to step into your vibration of change? Hello, everybody. Welcome to The Christine Upchurch Show here live on 1150 AM KKNW here in the Seattle area and on Transformation Talk Radio around the world. Um, before I talk about who our guest is today, I want to say hello to the people behind tech, the technology that allow you to hear and see these conversations. Mr. Benny Mathers. Hey, Benny. Hi there, Christine. Welcome back for another fantastic hour of your show. Woohoo! <laughs> I know, right? And um, Yeah, it's, it's great. And we also got a little bit of sunshine today, which is nice Yay. in Seattle area this time of year. And thank you, Olivia, for doing your part um, at TTR. Oh, of course. How are you doing this morning? I'm, I'm doing well, and I'm really, really excited about our guest today. Now, um, our guest today is somebody who not only teaches uh, types of wellness and science, she regularly delves into the science. She's, um, she's got a lot of insight and wisdom and knowledge. And I know you guys are listening to my show on a regular basis, and you think, okay, well, Christine's about um, alternative healing and consciousness and those sorts of things. Because, you know, for the last 15, 20 years, that's what I have been into. But I want to remind everybody about my past. I'm a former research statistician. And the last several years of my career, I designed and analyzed clinical trials in cancer research. Um, I reviewed over 100 protocols at a prestigious um, uh, uh, research center. And I'm co-author on several articles in mainstream peer-reviewed medical journals. So when I see the science and I see people evaluating the science, I've got very good insight um, based on my education, based on my experience. And our guest today is one who speaks truth. And I tell you, if you are interested in your own health, if you're interested in the health and well-being of your community, of your state, of your country, um, if you're if you're interested in truth, you will stay tuned. The other side of the sixty second break for our guest today. The vibration of change, that magical place where life shifts from struggle to ease, from stagnation to forward movement, from old ways of being to new ways of becoming. If you're like I am, it can be rather elusive to get there, but when you are in it, you feel it down to your very core, don't you? And it can positively affect everything in your life, from your relationships to your health and well-being, from your career path to your abundance, from the quality of that inner connection to the fullness of your self-expression. On The Christine Upchurch Show, we explore ways to get into that vibration of change with experts in the fields of consciousness, psychology, spirituality, health, healing, and science. Join me, Christine Upchurch, every Friday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern Time on KKNW AM 1150 and Transformation Talk Radio and learn new ways to step into your vibration of change. 
Welcome back, everybody. Um, our guest today is Dr. Pam Popper. She is the executive director of Wellness Forum Health. Uh, it's an, a company that offers educational programs for consumer and healthcare providers that facilitate evidence-based, collaborative, and informed decision-making for health-related matters. Uh, Pam serves on the Physician's Steering Committee and the President's Board for the Physician's Committee for Responsible Medicine in Washington, D.C. Uh, Neil Barnard, who's the president of that, uh, has been on this show before. She, she's served on the teaching team at eCornell. Um, she teaches a certification course on plant-based nutrition. She's been featured in many widely distributed documentaries, including Forks Over Knives, Processed People, and Making a Killing. She's co-author of some books, and um, she's a public policy expert, and she's continually working towards changing laws that interfere with patients' rights. I can't think of a better person to talk to during this, this so-called healthcare crisis. I'd like to welcome our guest today, Dr. Pam Popper. Hey, Pam. Hi, and thank you for having me. So glad to have you here. You know, I've been following you on YouTube for um, a few months now. And I have to tell you that, okay, so as a former research statistician, when I initially heard about the, um, the epidemiological predictions of COVID, oh, I was a little afraid, right? I thought we have to be very careful not to overrun hospitals. We need to find out more information. And a few weeks into it, I was starting to get my own kind of cognitive dissonance because I would hear things being told and then I would do a little research on my own and say, wait a minute, there's something that doesn't add up right. Mm -hmm. Now, I know you've become an advocate for truth in, about our current situation, but I'm kind of curious, Pam. First of all, how, how did you sort of go from your normal job, which I'm sure you're very busy at, to seeking more truth about COVID? Yeah, well, I, how I got into this is kind of an interesting story because my background's a little bit like yours, only just coming at it from a different angle. <clears throat> so my company is 25 years old and we specialize in informed medical decision-making. So what we teach people how to do, we teach health professionals how to do it with their patients and we teach patients and consumers how to do it on their own because they usually have to. We teach people how to read and understand scientific information so that they can make good decisions. And our premise from the get-go is anybody can learn how to do this. I mean, I don't know how to build cars. I don't know how to build houses. I've managed to buy houses and live in them. I've managed to buy cars and drive them. I've managed to make some pretty major decisions in fields that I'm not an expert in by doing what we all do. We ask questions, we look at information, we check things out, we, um, we document. I mean, you don't stand in this driveway with the realtor and say, whatever you say the house is worth, I'll pay. You get online, you look at the comp, right? So, so this yeah. is just informed buying, taking the buying habits that you use for everything else you do and applying it to this. So in order to do this, over the 25 years, I've created huge libraries and I've had help doing it in the last five or six years because I've trained a lot of people to do it with me. And we have 3,500 hours of educational programming, all filtered through a specific filter a lot of it's on video and uh, we own a school. We own a school that's chartered by the state of Ohio to train health professionals. And then we have a couple thousand articles on everything from what to do when you have kidney stones to um, cancer treatment, okay? 
Right. So part of my job, as I see it, is when new things happen, when old things happen. I mean, I'm just constantly reviewing information, building our library. I mean, building a library that covers all of health, I'll never do it, even in the 40 years of life I have left, right? I'm uh -huh. going to live to be 100, just so you know. Good. But, I'll, um, I'll join you with that. <laughs> so, so anyway, part of my job is when something comes up, I look into it. Our members, our paying members, expect us to do that. And then some of it I give away for free. I've had a pretty popular YouTube channel and a very well-read newsletter for a long, long time. So I report some of this for free. And I knew from the beginning there was a problem. And I'll tell you why I knew it. In 2009 and 2010, we had a debacle that did not get enough attention as far as I'm concerned. But as it turns out, it was kind of a dress rehearsal for this. And what happened was, you might remember the swine flu. Yes. And there was a lot of panic about the swine flu. And the feds were scaring everybody half to death. I remember the lines around the block three times at the health department locations around the city of Columbus, people getting the vaccine. They were going to test everybody who came in from Mexico because that's where they thought the origin of it was. Right. And uh, this was going to be the worst flu season in the history of the world since uh, Spanish flu. Okay, so a real interesting thing happened, and this is a very important episode in terms of what we're dealing with now. So in the middle of all of this, the Centers for Disease Control and the World Health Organization said, they both made the announcement at the same time, we are so overwhelmed with H1N1, we can't test anymore, we got to stop all that, we're just going to assume that everybody who shows up with a cough or a sore throat or a sniffle has it, just report it that way to the state. And I thought there's something wrong with this. It just doesn't make any sense because I know at the time I knew somebody who worked in the emergency room at a hospital close to here who said, I don't know what they're talking about because we're just not right. busy. Well, I predicted that there was no epidemic or pandemic and that what they were doing because they wanted to unload the 93 million doses of vaccine that feds had bought mm -hmm. is they wanted to scare everybody and keep people from knowing the real numbers. And so, and I wrote about it. That was my prediction. It came Good true. For you. Later on, there was an investigation. CBS News, back in the days when reporters actually used to ask questions, they had a lot more money and resources than I did at the time. And they actually, under the Freedom of Information Act, got data from each of the states. And there was no epidemic. In fact, nobody coming from Mexico had the swine flu and very wow. low death rate. There was an international investigation. It was a big to-do in the European Union back when they used to pay attention to things differently. Margaret Chan, who was head of the World Health Organization, had her little hand slapped. She didn't lose her job, but she actually at the time was giving speeches saying pandemics are great opportunities to, for social engineering. So you can go back and read all about this. It's still online. And so you know, the idea that this could be made up is not right. out of the box. I mean, CBS News proved that it was. Okay. Uh -huh. You can go online and watch the videos. Um, the, it was proven in Europe, and, and the Europeans determined that the cost to the world at the time was $18 billion, and at an $18 billion cost, they were apoplectic about it. Now, the cost of this, we'll never even know what the cost of right. this is, but, but um, I think it's important to set the stage that way because I come from a background where we have always assumed that past behavior is a good predictor of future behavior, Right. and, uh, and I don't think many people disagree with me on that. And one of the th things that I, I seem to remember about the H1N1 vaccine was that there was a lot of toxicity associated with it. People right. were having some really bad side effects. Is that correct? Well, well, the most useless and dangerous vaccine in general is flu. And long before the drug companies had immunity, they, they can't be 
sued for damages. They, no matter how many people they hurt and kill, they have no financial liability. But the flu vaccine program has been launched and stopped in this country on numerous occasions. And I think it was back in the 1980s, there was a vaccine debacle that cost the feds $4 billion, which back in the 1980s was a pretty big amount of money um, right. because of the incidents of Guillain Barre and et cetera. So um, I, my colleague, Tom Jefferson, who is what used to be with Cochrane Collaboration uh, in Europe, uh, his, his evaluation of the research showing that um, flu vaccines have any value at all. He says, I don't think rubbish is a scientific term, but I think it's the one I would use for wow. the vaccine research. Yeah. and. Um, it really concerns me as a former research statistician with, with vaccines in general, how they they don't do, first of all, most of them don't do long-term studies and you have to worry about long-term effects from the vaccine. But secondly, they don't do randomized controlled trials. No. And it's that it, I find very, very disturbing because that is the gold standard. Well, I can make you more disturbed than that if you would like. Um, Go ahead. Here, here's our... Here's our problem. Um, in 1992, and it was largely driven by then Senator Al Gore, the United States passed another landmark law that basically said that the drug companies would pay the FDA to review their products. This year, drug and device makers are going to pay over $2 billion to the FDA. It's the biggest chunk of their budget. So the approval rate's 96%. And I've always said, I want to see the 4% they're turning down. It must be like intravenous arsenic or something like that. There's a conversation <laughs> in the hallway saying, well, you know, submit it next year. We got to at least look like we're paying attention. Right. So, right. so let me give you an example of how that translates into vaccine science, right? So Merck is a drug company, uh, makes drugs that sells them in the United States. And one of their hallmark drugs was one called Vioxx. It was a COX-2 inhibitor that it turns out Merck knew at the time that they submitted fraudulent data to the FDA that it caused heart attack and death. And in fact, there were uh, the, the emails back and forth, which had been made public, you can check out this story, actually said these data will never see the light of day and they withheld it from the FDA. So the FDA doesn't, the FDA gets what the drug companies give them. In other words, there's no rigor in saying we expect to get these particular things, right? Sure. So Vioxx got approved, and after um, the, the death toll from Vioxx, it, it varies depending on which official you talk to, but it could be as high as 128,000 people. And the, it got taken off the market. Merck voluntarily took it off the market when they could see the handwriting on the wall. And, um, uh, and so bottom line, that happened. Then they paid, I don't know, $4 billion worth of fines, which I think is one week of sales for them. And then they turned around and the next product, so the first thing that I would do if I wasn't conflicted is I would say, your days of marketing products in the United States are over. You're banned from doing business here. Now that doesn't happen. Merck comes up with this HPV vaccine, which we said stands for help pay for violence. And um, what they did was it turns out that they, they never had a placebo. They put aluminum in the placebo. So and aluminum is a known neurotoxin. So you have the same sure. number of neurological damage in the same, same number of episodes relatively in the placebo group and in the active group. So you could say that there's no difference in the drug and it was approved. So it, that's just one example, but I'll kind of summarize where you are with it. First of all, the drug companies submit what they want. They pay the FDA to review their products. Almost everything is approved. And every drug company that makes vaccines in the United States has been convicted of criminal wrongdoing misleading and, and um, uh, misleading regulators, bribing doctors, scientific misconduct, 
they're all guilty of that. Now, yeah. I, we don't do business here in, in our company with convicted criminals. We try to avoid that at all costs. We don't hire convicted criminals. We don't do business <laughs> yes. with convicted criminals. Call me crazy. We think that's just good company policy. Right. And I'm not even doing anything as important here as the FDA is doing. So, mm -hmm. so there is that when people they call people like me names, and and I don't really care about that. I've been mm -hmm. when when they stop calling me names, I'll get another occupation, something else to go clean up. But, but the bottom line is that um, I don't know any reasonable person, if you checked out that story and found it to be true, which it is, who would not be a suspicious of vaccines and mm -hmm. b suspicious of any product that is marketed as a pharmaceutical in this country. And, and then if you go back and you look at, and I could, we could talk all day long about misbehavior in the healthcare profession. I just talked about the one worldwide debacle with the fake flu vet pandemic. You know, okay. you, you would start to be skeptical. And yeah. the problem is that, and the reason why people aren't more skeptical, misguided trust in the medical system, misguided trust in government and a media that perpetuates that misguided trust by not investigating, by not telling the truth. And by the way, the five biggest media companies in this country took in $51 billion last year in advertising from the drug companies. So they're never gonna okay. be objective. They're never okay. gonna tell you the right story. Say that number again, Pam. 51 billion in advertising. And that's not all they spent on advertising. That's just what they paid those five companies. Okay, those five companies. So do you think that, uh, that anybody in the mainstream media is going to get up and tell you that there's something wrong with all these numbers, that there's no need yeah. for a vaccine. Why the heck are we locked down? They will do whatever the drug companies tell them. And the drug companies love people like Bill Gates. They love people mm -hmm. like some of the other darlings that are on there talking about this nonsense all day long. And, um, and, and you know, my, I, I'm very upset about this from a number of perspectives, ranging from the harm, irreparable harm that's being done to children to the psychological damage that they've done to adults by misleading them in this way. You and I are gonna be fine at the end of this because we've known what's going on from the beginning. We are gonna have tens of millions of people when they find out that they have been psychologically manipulated. They're gonna be in therapy for the rest of their lives and, and we're gonna to have to be very help, we're gonna to have to help them. It's not unlike people who found out in World War II that they had unknowingly helped the Nazis. Nobody, no thinking person with a conscience wanted to do something like that. And some people did before they realized what was going on and um, they, they had a tough time dealing with it. Yeah. So, I mean, you and I could, we could talk a long time about vaccines, but it's, um, you know, one of the things I want to sort of shift to is you and I are at the same place in terms of our perspective on where this is. There are a whole lot of people out there who are terrified of COVID or, you know, SARS-CoV-2, um, and then, you know, developing COVID. And in that fear and concern and trying to be good citizens, they're, they're jumping through hoops. So, yes, I'm, you know, people should be suspicious based on what happened in 2009, 2002, I mean, 2010 with the swine flu. But what's the evidence right now that indicates that the, the fear that's getting generated isn't warranted? Well, let's just start with the testing, okay? Uh, and, and the testing, and, well, let, let's just, uh, let me start at the beginning. When, when everybody was talking about freezing everything for a couple of weeks and then oh. like a month, okay? I, I didn't think it was very good policy because I already knew what was going on. Right. But I really wasn't saying anything bad about it because you can recover from two, three weeks of shutting everything down. Sure. And I think a lot of people thought that. But now here we are, it's seven months later. 
and the we, we have millions of unemployed people. And in many counties, the overdose deaths, the suicides, the people who died from lack of medical care, the elderly people who've just given up their will to live, stopped eating and died in their bed. I mean, that's, we, we now, I can document this for you. We have lost more people worldwide from the collateral damage than the Nazis killed in World War II. Okay, the Nazis killed 11 million people and we have more people who've died because you, you can't just look at the United States. You have to look at the interruptions in the food chain which disproportionately affected people who are already living on the edge in third world countries. Um, right. I, I did some work in South Africa back in 2011 in the townships and we're talking about people that can't go for two days without money let alone for seven months. I mean, they're just dying of starvation and that sort of thing. So, so the, so this, this thing that these people are doing has killed more people than the Nazis. And we've, we're still hunting down Nazis and bringing them to justice for it, right? Right. So, so the bottom line is that we started out with one thing and have you noticed there's no end in sight? Like nobody can tell me what the goal is. And I've asked people who really believe all this is so serious. Tell me what is the end game here? Do we have to have 7 billion people who do not have a, the flu? before we stop this? I mean, what, what do you think is the end game? And if you're fortunate enough to have an income that sustains you through this, what do you think is gonna happen to the people who aren't? Okay, what's your solution for that? And I think, and, and I don't like to be confrontational with people, but but it takes, it, it, I don't even know what to say about people who can't understand that when you put tens of millions of people out of work, I mean, do, does, do these people think everybody in the United States has a savings account that's going to sustain them through this? I mean, it, we're talking about devastation that we will never recover from during my lifetime, okay? And I'm going to be around for a good long time. So, so the bottom line is, is that um, we, we have a, so, so, so when you're skeptical about this, I think these are the questions we need to start asking. What, what do you think is happening to all these people out of work? Where are they getting their money? Call the food bank and ask them if they have enough food to feed the hungry people, and they'll tell you they don't. Well, what do you think those hungry people are doing, right? Call the. How long do you think a moratorium on evictions and utility shutoffs is going to last? Five years? I don't think so. Yeah. These people who are behind in their rent now, eight nine months, utility bills they owe ten twelve thousand dollars in back bills, and they make fifteen dollars an hour. Where are they going to get the money to pay it off? All right. So I think we have to start questioning these kinds of things. Right. So let's let me play devil's advocate. Well, what if COVID is just so bad that we really need have been needing to do this? What is it about the data that indicates that we shouldn't be doing this? Well, I don't know. 70 million people got the swine flu and it turned out to not be a pandemic. Right. We have like, what, two million worldwide. Um, why, if this is such a serious thing, why do they have to forge death certificates? You know, in every state, in every single state, there have been adjustments made to the death certificates when somebody starts screaming about it. And I'm going to give you two examples. Okay. In Florida, um, a woman, a fam the family of a woman who was claimed to have died. They like when young people die because then that can scare people more. So yep. she's young, she's working in a hospital and she dies and they said it was COVID and her family finally said, it's not COVID, we're not gonna let it stand this way. We demand that her death certificate be corrected and they went public to the media. Well, then they go back and fix that. Well, how many others are there? In right. the state of Colorado, this happened a few months ago, people started getting um, letters from nursing homes saying your grandfather, whoever it was, died in the nursing home. Uh, of course, you couldn't be there with grandpa or whoever it was, right? Because we like old people dying alone. That's always been a great moment in public health. 
so you you couldn't be there. But anyway, he died of heart failure. That's what we put on the death certificate. And then it got changed to COVID, and we thought you should know. So a bunch of these people started screaming at their health or at their legislators. And one legislator decided he was going to try to get the health director um, indicted. Well, there was rush to correct all the death certificates, and then um, the death rate went down by 20%. Now, if this is a pandemic, I don't know why you have to make anything up. You should be able to let the numbers stand on their own. Um, The testing is another big thing. And and knows, you know, a case of the flu is a person who has symptoms. Okay. I am a healthy person with no symptoms, and if you came in, I. I probably have antibodies or something. I mean, I've had colds and flu in the past, so I'm sure you can sure. find something to talk about in my blood work or my mucus, right? Uh-huh. But I'm fine. I'm not a case of anything, all right? But I get counted as a case. And if you read the CDC's document carefully, if you actually are a case because you had the fake test, and I'll talk about the fake test in a minute. Okay. And then you and I have lunch today. I'm a case without any testing. Uh-huh. And the person I have dinner with tonight is a case so, so you can take one person and turn it into three and right. nobody in that group of three is six. Okay. Yeah. So, so, and then the tests that are used, like one of the, this made the national news, our governor tested positive in the afternoon and tested negative in the evening. And he decided to keep the negative test because he liked that better because he didn't have to change anything. And sure. after that, the state auditor opened up an investigation of the testing. And uh, there are several state auditors now that are investigating the testing. And in every single state, 100%, there have been companies that have been discontinued because they were uh, marketing tests that were fraudulent or their labs were fraudulent. Good example is in the state of Florida. One, one day, 18 labs reported tens of thousands of positive tests, 100% positivity rate. Now, right. so you're a research scientist. This is statistically impossible. Okay. Yeah. So, so they just threw all that out and then everybody just keeps on testing. I mean, and no, I don't understand in what universe you just keep testing. A company in Massachusetts, I think it was Massachusetts or, you know, I lose, uh, Pennsylvania, Chester County, Pennsylvania, agreed to spend $20 million on testing. They spent $13 million and realized the tests were fraudulent. That company is still doing business in 14 other states. So, the, uh, and this is going on with all of them. Mm-hmm. Companies that have been found to be committing fraud in one place are still doing business in other places. Mm-hmm. And so what we need to do is stop this. I mean, this just needs to stop. And, yeah. um, and, and start to, there's a little bit of chewing up. If you scream loud enough, they'll true up a number, like what happened in Colorado, what happened in right. Florida. But if it weren't for the screaming people, all this fraudulent data would stand. Yeah. And I did see something um, posted by um, a woman whose baby died. And they, the, I forget what the baby had died of, but it was publicly announced that this baby had died of COVID. And she was so outraged. And it was like adding additional pain to somebody who had just lost their child. Right. You're using the child for your own agenda. And, mm-hmm. and I know the case that you're talking about. And, um, and in every case that this has happened, that's not an isolated incident. It's happened all over the world. There's the, the, the splash of scary news is huge mm-hmm. and the retraction gets no attention. Okay? Yeah. So, so most people don't know, oh gosh, that never happened. It was made up. So we have to go to a quick break, but Pam, when we return, let's talk masks. Stay tuned for the other side of the break with Pam Popper. I'm Peggy Snow with another Stellar Reflections Minute. Presence, or what we think of as being fully in the moment, is a key element in the process of healing work. As a practitioner facilitating a session, 
Genuine presence takes us out of our heads where we tend to decide what is and maybe what should be for the client and moves us into direct experience where we're available to witness the person in their wholeness. In this receptive realm, our senses are heightened and expanded, allowing us to perceive what's seeking to unfold and to interact in the moment. There's something profoundly powerful that happens when healing is approached in this simple, pure way. Balance can be restored and healing can take place on multiple levels. If you'd like more information about the services we offer at Stellar Reflections, visit us at StellarReflections.com or call 425-999-9836. That's 425-999-9836. Are you meeting your sales goals? Or maybe your business plan could use a dose of the divine. Tune in to Divinely Driven Results with faith-based business coach Elise Smith on TransformationTalkRadio.com. Coach Elise Smith helps listeners get unstuck from their business plateau and become empowered through divine guidance. Build up belief in yourself and your dreams and learn business strategies that work for you for real lasting results. Learn more by visiting www.DivinelyDrivenResults.com. The Vibration of Change that magical place where life shifts from struggle to ease, from stagnation to forward movement, from old ways of being to new ways of becoming. If you're like I am, it can be rather elusive to get there, but when you are in it, you feel it down to your very core, don't you? And it can positively affect everything in your life, from your relationships to your health and well-being, from your career path to your abundance from the quality of that inner connection to the fullness of your self-expression. On The Christine Upchurch Show, we explore ways to get into that vibration of change with experts in the fields of consciousness, psychology, spirituality, health, healing, and science. Join me, Christine Upchurch, every Friday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern Time on KKNW AM 1150 and Transformation Talk Radio and learn new ways to step into your vibration of change. How to lead a happier life on Miles to Go with Brittany Miles. How to lose to gain it all. Join Brittany every second and fourth Wednesday at 1 p.m. Pacific on TransformationTalkRadio.com. Listen as coach and healer Brittany Miles shares stories that teach you about surrender. For more information about Brittany, MilesToGoCoaching.com. Welcome back to the Christine Upchurch Show here on KKNW AM 1150 in the Seattle area and Transformation Talk Radio around the world. Um, I'm so excited. I'm having a wonderful conversation today with Dr. Pam Popper. Pam, before the break, we were talking about um, you know some of the some of the data about deaths, and just want to talk briefly with you about overall deaths because, from my perspective, if if they are miscoding what person what a person died of then a very easy way to get around that from a data analysis perspective is to look at the overall deaths this year maybe month by month relative to the previous year and the and the year before that and the year before that and i'm kind of wondering um have you done a, a, a deep dive into that and what's your, your perspective on it yeah we've done we've done several deep dives and we have a lot of people working for us who are good at epidemiology and that sort of thing because we filed a pretty massive lawsuit in federal court and we need a lot of experts like that and um yeah the 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 death rate is well first of all let me say this we will never know who had this disease 
and we will never know who died from it. In other words, it'll never be quantifiable the way that public health should quantify things, okay? Right. Because of the misbehavior and the testing and all that. But if you take a look at year to year, it, it just it, it's just a non-issue. And, and, and people don't understand this, while you're being terrified every day about the new cases, what you don't understand is that the death rate's flat, so the new cases lower the percentage of deaths, the, the, the sure. um, uh, infection fatality rate. And so the, the bottom line is that, that um, this has turned out to be really no different than the annual flu. We've never shut everything down due to flu season every year. And we yeah. certainly never did any of this nonsense in the middle of the summertime when it's 110 degrees in the shade. Oh, I know. And I, and I think about um, how flu is seasonal and one of the reasons for that scientists have, you know, the stuff that I've read say it relates to our vitamin D levels in our bodies, as well as getting outside and getting plenty of fresh air. So it's the sort of thing where your immune system is boosted by the nice weather. And that would be the perfect time to go out and get exposed to something and maybe build some antibodies to it and not get sick. But instead, there's been all this social isolation um, and uh, the mask wearing, which I'm dying to talk to you about. What's yeah. your perspective on masks? Well, first of all, I'll talk about social isolation. One of the most stunning things that happened on television, and it just tells you how good the brainwashing has been that this didn't get a lot more attention and how disingenuous the media is, is when Andrew Cuomo put up his chart showing that 66% of the hospitalizations had been people sheltering at home with no contact with the outside world. 66%, wow. okay. Wow. They didn't use public transportation. They actually went home, stayed home, followed the orders, and it was the leading cause of hospitalization. So this isolation doesn't work. It makes things worse, the whole nine yeah. yards. So but let, let's talk about the masks, okay? The, the first thing is when, when you are healthy, exposure to something doesn't mean anything, okay? Right. In other words, I'm in the healthcare business. I'm exposed to stuff up every flu season. I don't walk around in a hazmat suit around here because I'm healthy, okay? Sure. If I'm not healthy, I don't come to work, all right? But but I don't have to worry about it. So, so the internal terrain is what determines if you're gonna get sick, not mask wearing and hazmat suits and all that kind of stuff. So every year when flu season hits, you have some susceptible people who might be run down or tired or sick or diabetic or whatever they are, and they're more susceptible to get the flu. But sure. healthy people aren't, and they don't worry about it so much. Even the diabetics don't, because most people get over the flu. I mean, the fatality rate, age uh, if you stratify it by age, it's the same as it's always been. Vulnerable people in nursing homes are the ones that are dying of this and not the rest of the population, okay? Uh -huh. so, so that's the first thing. But the second thing is the mask wearing is probably the most dangerous thing they've done to everybody. And the reason is that, first of all, until all this started, if you worked, if your place of employment required you to wear a mask because you were dealing with hazardous chemicals, you had to be approved by an OSHA certified medical professional to wear the mask eight hours a day because it's unsafe for most people to do that. All right. Uh -huh. Now we're supposed to wear masks all the time. Well, the problem, the next problem is, so nobody's been cleared. And, and if you're wearing the mask properly, it's tightly fitted and everything else, you really are going to have trouble breathing and all that sort of thing. So that's right. problem number one. Problem number two is that this mask wearing while you're out doing the general stuff that you're supposed to be doing is uh -huh. very dangerous in, in this respect. So we we're, in Ohio, we're supposed to wear masks. Nobody in my building wears masks. I won't allow it because I don't want to get sick and this is the fastest way to get sick. Here's okay, why. So, yeah, okay, so that's that's really surprising. I'm just gonna have you repeat that. You said it's the, it's the fastest way of getting sick, yes. why? 
Okay. Yeah. So, so here's something that I, I, I want to hear some of these people who are experts disagree with this statement. During flu season, people tell you to keep your hands away from your mouth, right? You heard that yeah. before? Okay. Oh, sure. So, so here I am sitting in my office where we're doing this interview right now. Okay. So okay. let's assume I've got a mask on like I'm supposed to. Every time I drink water, what do I got to do? Pull it down. Uh -huh. Every time I get on the phone, nobody can understand me unless I pull it down. What am I doing in between touching that all day long? I'm picking up a pen that seven people in the office held when they came here to sign a check or whatever. I'm right. picking up the phone, which is full of, and then I go back and I get some files from the cabinet and I'm touching these files that have been handled by all these people and I'm pulling on a drawer. Okay, uh -huh. so, so what I'm doing is I'm getting contaminated all day long picking up, I mean, you cannot wash your hands every time you touch something, right? This isn't a right. Problem. Right. So, so all day long, all that is, I would never have any reason to touch my face okay. after being on the phone or drinking water or going to the back to get files, but sure. I'm doing it all day long. And then let's, let's, when these people make their cloth masks, that they should be washing them every single day after every use. And every use right. is once you've touched it, you've now used it, put it away. So you need, Right. 10,000 of these things, right? Yeah. And then we haven't even gotten into the particulate. I mean, you know, the, all the demos you see on on, uh, on air, this doesn't stop the transmission of the virus. So essentially, right. just like the sheltering at home made people sick and Cuomo's data showed it, this is another way to make people sick. So what they've done is they have made people sick. I mean, isolation makes people sick. Unemployment makes people sick. Despondency right. makes people sick. Yeah. Food insecurity makes people sick. Everything that they're doing is making people psychologically and physically sick. It is a deliberate attempt, in my opinion, mm -hmm. to sicken the population and it's working pretty darn well. I mean, kids yeah. are having nightmares. They're tearing masks away from their face in the middle of the night. They're right. crying. I live across the street from an elementary school. There's a meltdown every day in Aww. front of that school with kids wearing masks and the kids screaming they don't want to go in and they don't want to wear a mask and they don't want to wear a shield and they don't want to stand on a circle. It's just, this is just despicable. For no reason. And I, and I think about the, the mask touching and I think about the, the germs that end up on the mask, not just from touching other things, but from what you're exhaling, the, the, the toxins, what, you know, whatever's getting released from your body. And then you're going through the grocery store and opening the freezer um, doors and that sort of thing. So it's kind of like um, people are going around licking their, their fingers and then touching things. And then we're, you know, we're doing the same thing. It's just an well, awful concept. I'm going to tell you something that'll blow your mind. It usually does when I tell people this. I have, I'm having my groceries delivered. And the reason is not because I refuse to wear a mask. The reason is because I don't want to be in a public place with all of those filthy people and their bacteria filled masks. I'm a healthy person, but the fastest way for me to get sick is to get up close and personal and touch, you know, all just being around. They scare the crap out of me. And uh -huh. I stay as when they come in here, I stay as far away from them as I can. Most of the people coming here are not masked, but when the mask people come in here, for the most part, I stay as far away from them as I can because they're a hazard to my health, not the other way around. That's fascinating. And one of the the studies that I did a little deep dive into um, was a study that was looking at um, the spread of influenza, and they, they were looking at cloth masks. It was a randomized controlled trial, you know, the, the gold standard. You can't blind it, you know, obviously, because you know if somebody's wearing a mask or not. And not only did the mask not help the spread of, of uh, influenza, it increased the risk of influenza and other upper, upper respiratory illnesses. Right. So it's like, 
whoa, folks. And everybody's going around wearing these cloth masks. And, right. and when you, okay, so what I want to talk to you about is the cognitive dissonance. Like you, you've done this deep dive into data. You present data on a daily basis uh, and still people can't hear it. What's mm -hmm. that about? Oh gosh. Um, I think it's about a lot of things. I think we are not teaching people. I, I think I, I just wrote a book on this topic, COVID operation. It'll be out uh -huh. next week. Next I'm week so week. excited about that too, by the way. What's the title again? It's called COVID operation. What happened, yeah. why it happened and what's next. Mm -hmm. And there's a chapter in it called the perfect storm. And what it is about is the perfect storm of things that had to happen in order for this to take place. Uh -huh. And and here's what I think it, it is. Um, I think that the first thing we have is an intrusive government with that has become increasingly intrusive and mm -hmm. more and more people who've been willing to accept it. You know, if you if you look at go back and read our constitution, um, to read the Federalist Papers, I've taken a lot of history classes because I've become fascinated with this, not just because of this episode, but but um, you know, you, we, we are supposed to live with limited government in our country and we're not doing that right now at all. And it's been trending this way for a long time. Right. So I think that a lot of people were conditioned to think that the government had the right to do things the government doesn't have the right to do. And mm -hmm. we'll ultimately prove all this in court. I think the second thing is that um, the medical system and its incompetence and its arrogance has been careening toward disaster for a long time. The opiate epidemic should have been a wake-up call. It didn't change anything, but what happened? Everybody thinks the pill mills were the reason why we had an opiate epidemic. They were a tiny percentage of it. It was you know, pretty girls who used to be cheerleaders in high school, went to work for Purdue Pharma, and they told doctors that uh, there was an epidemic of untreated pain in the United States and Oxy wasn't addictive, and about a quarter of a million doctors started prescribing on that basis. Um, right should never have happened, but it did, and it didn't wake anybody up. So here we are. It's it's the drug companies and big medicine and big pharma with government partners because they're not regulators, they're partners, as we discussed before. Right. So so they've helped uh, promote the story. If you if you if you will buy that story, there's an epidemic of untreated pain and opiates aren't addictive, you'll buy just about anything, including this nonsense, right? Then yeah. then you have a media that has has been not telling the truth about a lot of things, a lot right. of them, not just health. I mean, if the New York Times said today's Friday, I'd check three times just to make sure. That's how unreliable I think that newspaper is right now. Uh -huh. And by the way, they have decades of that. They, they were one of the few newspapers that refused to cover the Holocaust when it was going on. Um, so, really? So, oh, yeah. You can go back. The New York Times has had bright moments in its history, but, it, uh -huh. but it's been a, a, a horrible embarrassment for a long, long time. So you have a media that's pretty compliant, owned by the drug companies. And then this is a controversial thing to say, but we have had decades of public education and parents are finding this out. By the way, the number of parents who have pulled their children out of school, okay, mm -hmm. since this all started, yeah. it, it, it's growing. I built the largest homeschool resource center in the world on, on my Health Freedom website. It's and great. we are getting more traffic now than ever. And, and some of it is that people don't want to send their kids to this dystopian environment we used to call school with the masks. And the, I, mean, the, I watch the meltdowns every day at the school across the street and they say enough of that I'm not putting my kid through it. But the other thing is when they sent the kids home in March, parents started finding out what they're learning. Okay. And I don't know if you saw that demonstration in California. They took it off of YouTube where the parents found out that pedophilia was being taught as a sexual orientation to grade school children. Okay. Oh my God. I mean, it, and that's just the beginning, 
okay, of the, of the misinformation, the dumbing down of things. So public education created people who are pretty much can be convinced of anything, I think. And so you have a perfect storm of factors that led to this. And I know that those are harsh things to say, but I don't think we're helping anybody by not saying them. I wanna say something else about this too. And it, and it goes to conditioning. I was at the Holocaust Museum uh, last summer and I spent a whole day there. And, um, and I, I took the whole day to be there because I really wanted to see the whole thing. And I started, the, I don't know if you've been there, but you start with the period of time after Hitler was elected leading up to when the war started. And, um, and um, I watched a lot of videos I mean, a lot of videos, and I was fascinated with that period of time because I think everybody asks, how did he ever get everybody to go along with it, right? Well, right. if you watch the, the progression of Hitler and his people and what they were saying, mm -hmm. they started out making sense. In fact, if you didn't know what happened, you would have listened to some of the early talks and thought the guy was spot on, right? Wow. But then there's this very gradual, uh, the rhetoric changes and language changes and and, and what happened was eventually you've got uh, some of his people giving talks about Jewish people and here's a side view and you can see from the chin that these people are defective and you know you do this long enough and pretty soon at the Kristallnacht all the Germans are standing on the sidewalk saying yeah take these people away and put them in a concentration camp right because it was a very gradual process of conditioning. Criminals and despots know how to do this. There, there are playbooks written. Mein Kampf, you can read Mein Kampf. You can look at what Chairman Mao did in China. You can look at what Fidel Castro did. There is always a population of people in every country that is willing to go along with totalitarianism. And right. by the way, these are the people who suffer the most if that succeeds. So in a way, people like you and I who are bringing attention to this, we're gonna save a lot of people from themselves in this whole sure. situation, because if these people really got away with it, the most disposable people are the people who were stupid enough to buy it. And they don't understand that, right? Yeah. The Germans were not kind to their co-conspirators at all. Right, right. And I think about um, what's happened within our economic system here in the United States and how they left the like the big box stores, you know, the really, um, the, the, the stores that were doing really well open and closed the mom and pop shops. Mm -hmm. The, you know, the big chain restaurants are doing fine and yet the, the independently owned ones are going under or have gone under. And it's it's like, but there are there are more jobs at Amazon. There are more jobs at Walmart. It's that was the it's whole almost idea. like what's that? That was the whole idea. Yeah. And, part of and, the and I tell you, I'm not one to buy into conspiracy theories, but I've done a deep enough dive to know that there is a very dark agenda underway. Mm -hmm. Um and even if you think, oh, it's just happenstance, you know, that 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 you know that they just took advantage of it. There's a dark agenda as far, as far as I'm concerned. And it concerns me to the nth degree that there's so many people who aren't seeing it. Well, know? can I give you some happy news? Let me give you some. Yes, happy please. News, I, yes. I don't want to, I don't want to let this go where we're just all talking about doom and gloom. Okay. So I agree with you. This was planned. And, and, um, and the whole, I mean, what do you do if you want to, if you want to take over a society? You, you interfere with families and connections. You don't let people assemble. You destroy the middle class. You destroy the people who are most vulnerable. The people that these folks usually talk about they want to save, they're destroying, all right? Um, if, if you're fine and you're economically sound through this, you're, you're missing the point that the folks that they all talk about that they care about so much are the ones that they're running into the ground. Mm -hmm. But having said that, 
they're not doing very well at this. I mean, I know it's hard to believe when everything is so messed up like this, but, but here, let me tell you what was supposed to happen. The whole world was supposed to shut down, only it didn't. We had 10 countries that didn't play ball and now you've got all this inconvenient data and they do all they can to make sure nobody talks about Sweden and that kind of, but it's out there, all right? right. Then the whole country was supposed to shut down, but Trump wouldn't do it. So now you got all this inconvenient data from South Dakota. And so they, they're always talking about the cases in South Dakota. But right. the, the, again, we never talk about that. This is just rhetoric and scaring people. So you got that inconvenient data. All right. So if public education is how you convince people of this stuff, you create an environment where over half of parents won't send their kids to school. Well, that can't be part of their plan, right? And then right, right. This, I'll tell you something that will really, and I do get a lot of pleasure out of this because I like watching, I look for vulnerabilities and I'm very active in taking these people down. So I've been watching, waiting okay. forever. Okay, so, so um, they wanna vaccinate everybody. And by the way, this isn't a conspiracy theory. Bill Gates gets on TV every day, waving his arms like a madman, talking about we have to vaccinate 7 billion people because right. he's gonna give us permission to go back to normal if we do it. I love permission from Bill Gates, but anyway. Yeah. Yeah. So the vaccination rate, because the kids aren't in school, even in states where there's a mandate, is under 50%. And they had to, they had to hire a company, that they hired Yale to test uh, messages that would make people want to get the COVID vaccine because that's plummeting interest in that is doing. So uh -huh. they're not working any champagne tonight and thinking that they're home free. And then they never, because they, they also really contemplated on everybody um, staying kind of quiet and that sort of thing for a longer period of time. And they never really thought about people like us starting to file. We filed a landmark lawsuit here. Um, and, uh, and so that's going on all over the country, but we filed a different kind of lawsuit. And I think they are a little bit worried about us. Yeah, and I really want to talk to you about that because it's ingenious, the the, the tactics that have, you guys have been taking. But first, I want to make sure people know how they can connect with you before we run out of time here. Uh, what's your website? Um, and you know your YouTube channel, all that. All right, so my email address is pampopper at msn.com. My <laughs> company website is wellnessforumhealth.com. My health freedom website is uh, makeamericansfreeagain.com. Uh -huh. we have, and it's make Americans free again. Free as again. Exactly. And we yeah. have the, the homeschool resource center. We have private coaches where we have a, we have the ability to gather data on a hundred million people and sort them by legislative districts, state by state. We're working on this lawsuit in conjunction with a large group of people in Ohio, all of this for free, all of it's free. Okay. And you've got some psychological support as well available, right? Right. We have, uh, we have got, we have therapists, great therapists who are willing to do this. We make it available for 10 to $15 per session, uh, help them, how you, with, you know, free therapy and almost free therapy. And we're starting new groups every couple of days because people are in such distress. That's fabulous. Okay. Let's talk about the lawsuit. Um, you know, you could have taken one tactic, which, which I know, I think in some States they've been taking and you've chosen a different tactic. Let's let's do the comparison because it's yeah. fascinating. So I, I, this is something I wanted to do, and then through a, a mutual contact, we who had found the lawyer. I don't take credit for finding the lawyer, but this guy is a brilliant mind. You might want to have him on the show sometime. Mm -hmm. um, his name's Tom Renz, and so I've been watching these lawsuits. Sometimes it looks like I'm not doing anything because mm -hmm. I watch and I look and I'm looking for vulnerabilities and all that. So I'm kind of watching sure. this. And I'm watching all these lawsuits and people are filing a lawsuit and they're saying the government is infringing on my constitutional rights. That is very sure. true. 
But then the yeah. other side shows up and they say, oh, but it's an emergency. And mm -hmm. then the judge says, oh, well, that's true. So the, it goes away. So the vast majority of these lawsuits, even if they're won, it's temporary till somebody overturns it at the higher court and all that. So sure. I thought we should be filing a lawsuit that claims what's the real deal here. It's a, it's a, it's a fake pandemic. There is no pandemic. There is no emergency. And if that's true, then there is no warranting for all this. I mean, and we, we actually alleged that it was fraud because they know it, right? But yep. here's my point. If you, we went into court on August 31st and said, there is no emergency. Okay, yep. they can't show up and say there's an emergency. Now they have to prove there's an emergency in response right. to our claim. Uh -huh. They can't, all right? And, yep. um, and so the, the, the fund has just begun. And after it got filed, a really interesting thing happened here in Ohio that I'll share with you. So our emperor was talking about FEMA camps and he had instructed every public college and university to set aside space for isolation facilities. And he let it slip, he gets money from the feds if he does it for every person he puts in there. That's on August 31st, we filed our case that night. All right. Oh wow. After that, it was amazing how things changed. Restaurants are back to 100%. You can have a dancing and entertainment at a restaurant. You can have a buffet. 300 people can gather inside. That used to be 10. You even told people they shouldn't even get together with their family. Now you can have 300. And nursing home visits are allowed only 30 minutes inside because the virus gets cranky after 30 minutes, but at least <laughs> we can get 30 minutes, right? So so it's just a miracle. I mean, I and, and the other thing too, is it seems like um, there's some truing up of the numbers, the hysteria over cases. Mm -hmm. that, and I think I think the guy is so delusional at this point, he actually thinks that he's gonna walk into court at the next hearing and somebody's gonna think, well, it looks like things are getting better, so maybe we'll just leave it alone. We're not gonna leave it alone. Guys destroyed the lives of a million people here in Ohio, yeah. we're not gonna leave it alone. But that's the claim that needed to be made. And we intend to work with law firms to file this in every state that's affected. So coming to your state soon. Great, and, and it's such important work. And I think that, um, we need to ask ourselves who we're voting on based on certain liberties. And I know that you, you know, we're running out of time here, but what's the question that you think is the most important thing we should ask people uh, in determining whether we're going to vote for them or not? Well, I think, are they going to, are you going to vote for freedom or tyranny? Okay. And, including uh, vaccines, right? Well, including vaccines, but I'm, I'm looking at Mr. Biden says he's going to make national mass learning. That's going to, and then he's going to lock the country down. And he's going to bring Mr. Fauci back to the uh, White House every day. So if you like mask wearing and you like being out of business and you like all that that was going on back in March, and if you like being all this stuff that you're dealing with right now, you definitely want to make sure he gets the White House because you're going to get to do that all over. The, you're going to inflict that on everybody. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so I think the choice is pretty clear. I would vote for my shoe. I would vote for the clock on the wall across the room from me. I would vote for Attila the Hun. I would vote for anybody who wasn't for those things. Yeah. Okay. And I have to tell you that um, for the first time ever, I'm voting a, a different direction, in, including on my, um, for governor, because I'm just so appalled at how our current Democratic governor, and, and I'm like, I'd like, you know, I, I, I value so many things that the Democrats supposedly stand for, but I believe it's time to um, have personal liberty um, and we've run out of time. Pam Popper, fabulous. Uh, thank you so much. And you're on BitChute too. So if it disappears on, on YouTube, go check her out there. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks so much for tuning in today. 
If you'd like to empower yourself to step further into your vibration of change, please visit my website at christineupchurch.com where you can learn more about my insights, upcoming events, and private sessions.